Welcome to the Weekend Write-In Podcast. I'm your host, Sylvan Drake. And I'm John Nedwill. This episode is our holiday episode. Hang on. What's all this got to do with holidays? This sounds like summertime, not wintertime holidays. Oh, when you said holidays, I thought you meant holidays, not the holidays. Well, yes, it's December, so what did you think I meant? I was thinking of Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, things like that, not vacation holidays. Oh, right. Well, we can fix that. Here. Is that better? Definitely much more seasonal, but aren't you going to be a little cold in those swimming trunks? Now that you come to mention it, yes. I think I'd better go and get changed. It's starting to get a bit chilly in here. Oh, hello, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sophan. How are you? Do you want to help me introduce the Holiday Weekend Write-In Podcast while John changes into something more suitable? Absolutely. Before we launch into our holiday stories, it's time for a quick episode of the all-new game show, My Story is Better, Judged by You, the Listener. Today we have Tom Walborn, John Nedwell, and myself, Sylvan Drake, competing in the Battle of the Bird. Whose holiday bird gone wrong story takes the cake, so to speak? (laughs) Everybody has horror stories about Christmas. (laughs) Now, cooking a bird is usually for a large gathering and a special occasion. My daughter, Erin, had gotten, just gotten married in October and um, decided that she wanted to put on the family Thanksgiving. Major failures often happen when the stakes are high. She wanted to do it for the combined families, for her new in-laws and uh, for us and their sister. And... Uh... Reminds me of of the first Christmas I had when I was married, and we decided that we'd invite we, we'd invite my in-laws over. Um, when I was in college, my parents moved from New Jersey to North Carolina, and they built a house. And while they were building the house, they lived in a little apartment with all of their belongings and storage. So. My sister and I were still both up in the Northeast and we came down to North Carolina for Thanksgiving and we were in this tiny apartment and somehow I got put in charge of making the turkey and it was the first time I was probably 20. I had never made a turkey before. A common denominator is not knowing a crucial piece of information. I managed to get the turkey out of the baking dish, which was a Pyrex glass dish and uh, Erin was going to make some gravy from the uh, drippings, and so she wanted a pan to do that. And her mother-in-law, Judy, said, "No, no, you can do it right when in the pan that it's in there. Just turn the burner on, and you know, add your uh, flour and the stuff that you want to do to make the gravy." Um, and I, I didn't know they had um, the the gut. They did, I didn't know that the parts were inside the turkey in a plastic bag. And we thought, let's do something different. Let's get a goose. There's just one thing that we didn't realize about the differences between having a goose for Christmas and a turkey for Christmas. Geese have got a load more fat under the skin. Tension rises. So we had the goose in the oven in a roasting dish and we had all the vegetables lined up alongside it. And the level of fat, instead of going down, was going up and up and up inside the oven 
and it was starting. We're looking, and we're going. It's it's starting to come over the edge. It's 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 going to go into the elements. Disaster happens. Oh. I baked it with a plastic bag inside, with all the giblets and things. So she said. So I turned the burner on, and within minutes, literally minutes, this Pyrex glass dish exploded, sending shards of glass all over the kitchen. Gravy bits and pieces, cooked meat bits and pieces. It got into everything. And then you're left picking up the pieces. Well, because it was only four of us, it was not a big turkey, so it wasn't such a such a loss. Um, and we ate the outside parts; they were okay. You know, we didn't save the carcass for any reason. Uh, but oh, it took us forever to clean out the oven because all the fat had spit because the fat had spilled out, gone onto the bottom of the oven, and it was just baked on. So we had to spend the you know after Christmas with 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 steel wool and chemicals just scrubbing it off the inside of the oven where it baked itself on, and that was our first Christmas together. So. Uh, we quickly kind of sopped it up with towels and just threw them on the side. I think we threw them in the sink. And she scrounged around. She didn't have any gravy cans or gravy in jars or anything, but she found a powdered gravy mix. These are the stories of legends. These are the stories we never forget. When it happened, it was a disaster. But then you get over it and you laugh about it a little bit. And then as the years go by, you expand on it and so listeners, vote for the best worst bird failure story at www.weekendwriting.wordpress.com. And thank you for listening to this episode of My Story is Better. Ghost Town by Thomas Nelson. God almighty, I'm tired. I can't even open up my eyes. I think I'll just stay here for a bit. I reach down for my tobacco, but my arm blankly refuses to move. Ugh! I breathe in all I can to summon some strength. I almost choke with musty air and dust. The smell of gunpowder is still lingering and doesn't agree at all with the foul air. There's something not right here. My room is small and frugal, but it was never dirty. I managed to get enough control of my legs to kick downwards to untangle the covers and get them off of me. I hit wood. I can't see anything, but I recognize the sound of the tapping against boards. How the hell did I manage to get so drunk that I left my boots on? I kick harder. The planks struck my feet. Shucks! I get a bit of sensation ordered into my arms so I may sit up to get the cover off and get out. Immediately, I hit my head on a plank above me. Unprepared as I am, I fall back and hit my elbow. My arms are locked in too. These boards are all around me. My knees are scraping against the roof. I begin to kick again, hard this time. I hear the boards crack, yield. The sounds change. Then a board gives in and cracks. A thin column of light shines through the crack. At least I ain't lost my eyesight yet. Everything is blurry, though. I can't make out any details, just fuzzy contours. I'm boxed in. 
I must have cooked my goose real good this time. I can feel the rough planks against my fingers. I'm lying here thinking. I don't know for how long, but my eyes are getting better. I can feel the gap in the joint between the walls and the lid, right down where my knee is. I wonder. I almost dislocate my shoulder as I pry my left arm across my chest to get to my breast pocket. After countless, downright feeble attempts, I manage to get two fingers into my vest pocket. Like a right child, I almost bite my tongue trying to catch my folding knife. <laughs> Halfway out of the pocket, it slides out through the tip of my fingers and falls off of my chest. Should have cut those nails, damn it. I cry out in disappointment. Except, almost no sound comes out at all. I pause for a moment. Strange. I must have yelled a bundle last night to have lost my voice so flat out thoroughly. Ah, oh, I could do it with the whiskey. It's a drink that gets me into these jams. You damn well ought to get me out of them too. I return my attention to the knife, twist my arm even more and feel the rosewood handle against my fingertips. A bit more. Ha! I have the little devil. Slowly I jiggle the knife onto my chest and once I'm confident that I can safely release my touch, I extend my fingers around it and grip it. Careful not to drop it again, I insert the knife into the crack of the crate lid and wiggle it. It's a cantillon, and a fine one too. They make good knives, but I won't risk snapping it. Twist. Then twist some more. I can hear the nails creak and the sound of sand drizzling through the narrow opening. That joker who put me here, he's gonna pay. I'll tell you that. I work my way along the gap, slowly and carefully. The metallic ring tells me that a piece has snapped off. Yeah, he's gonna pay. The sand is pooling on the side of the wall. I guess the crate's not lying straight. Those darn hangovers have my head all twisted since I couldn't tell. Holidays by Birsabi Jonas. Answer to my prayers. I hate holidays. I hate the fact that I have to drive all those miles back home just to be judged and criticized by my parents. The moment that I walk in through that door, their eyes wander behind me searching for someone. Someone that might never be there. I'm not married. I don't even have a boyfriend for that matter. But that's what they expect from me. Their oldest daughter coming home for the holidays with her husband and her children, just like her younger brother. It always hurts me to notice their disapproving glances as soon as they realize I came alone. Again. Carrie dear, don't you think it's time to start thinking about making a family of your own? My dad starts. Yes. And we would both love to meet your boyfriend, darling, my mother adds. This was always the conversation we have on holidays. I wish I met him too, mom. I would love to meet the guy that doesn't dump me on Christmas and that doesn't go on a date with my best friend that same exact day. Who wouldn't want to meet that guy, mom? I get tempted to say this, 
but I stay silent, chewing my food. Darling, we love you. We always want the best for you. They treat me like I'm something that's falling apart. Like something that's broken. Maybe I am. Because their words always widen the hole in my heart. Those words always ruin my holidays. Not that I have a good one anyway. The vibration of my phone pulls me up from my train of thoughts. I ignore my mom's call for the hundredth time. We have a month before holidays and she's already calling! There's no reason in picking up if everything she talks about is how she's looking forward to meet my guy this holiday. And most of all, because I'm tired of seeing the looks on their faces whenever I go home. I finally pick up as I was walking to my car. Carrie! God! Why weren't you answering my calls? She yells before even greeting me. I wasn't able to, Mom. She starts talking about how close the holidays are, and I hum in answer. I listen to her walking down the road, mentally cursing myself for parking my car so far. I would have the perfect excuse to end the call if I didn't. So, will we be seeing him this year? She asks. I start scrolling through my phone, avoiding her question. The air is knocked out of me as I bumped into something rock hard. I look up to apologize, but I couldn't say a word when my eyes met with a pair of blue. Carrie? Her voice comes up through my phone. Yes, Mom, you will. Gotta go, I say empty-mindedly and end the call. Sorry. I smile at him. Oh, don't worry. I'm okay. Little did I know, he was the answer to my prayers. Last Christmas by John Nedwell Mr. Williams loved being the store Santa. Every year he would volunteer to put on the red suit, black boots and white beard and to sit on the gold-painted throne in the toy department. Every day in December, Mr. Williams would be in his place from nine o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the evening, lunch one till two, waiting to listen to the wishes of the children who came in to see him. Then, when he had heard what a child wanted for Christmas, Mr. Williams would pat the child on their head, tell them to be good, and hand them a gaudily wrapped gift that could have been bought elsewhere at half the price. Saturdays were Mr. Williams' busiest days, those were the days when families would come into town and bring their children to the store. This Saturday was no exception. Even before Elf Sammy had pulled back the grotto's velvet curtain, Mr Williams could hear the eager chatter from the queue. The odd word and phrase sounded clearly through the hum. Dolly, want a bike? Need a wee? And Mr Williams smiled. The first child in the queue ran forward and clambered eagerly under Santa's lap. What do you want, little girl? Mr Williams asked. The girl looked at her parents, who gave her a smile of encouragement. I want a new teddy bear, she said. My old one's lonely and needs a new friend. Well, we can't have that, Mr Williams replied. I'll see what I can do. Now, be a good girl. He handed over a package wrapped in pink tissue paper that Elf Sammy had put into his outstretched hand. The next child, a boy in short trousers, came in. He whispered into Mr Williams' ear, Can you get me a knife? 
I want one like my brother's. Mr. Williams thought for a minute. Hmm, tricky. I'll have to ask your mummy and daddy. Now, be a good boy and Merry Christmas. And so it went. The queue outside the grotto waxed and waned, and the piles of gifts behind Elfsemi grew smaller and smaller. There were tears and tantrums, smiles and laughter, and through it all Mr. Williams beamed and boomed. It was after lunch that the girl that changed it all arrived. She flounced into the grotto, her attitude as brash as her clothing. Hello, little girl, Mr. Williams began. The girl sneered at him. Cut the crap, she said, and keep your hands to yourself. She leaned in close to Mr. Williams and whispered in his ear, I know there's no such thing as Santa Claus. The words stung Mr. Williams as if he had been slapped. I'm doing this for my followers, the girl said, and with that she pulled out her mobile phone and smiled for a selfie. A tear ran down Mr. Williams' cheek. When did I discover there was no Santa Claus? I don't believe that I discovered it at all. I was in denial for a couple of years, and then dragged before my mother by my younger brother, Michael. Mom, you've got to tell him. I should explain. I'm the oldest of four boys. My mother always wanted a little girl, but was forced to give up the idea when my youngest brother, Jimmy, was born. Being the oldest, there was always a little brother coming along who I had to watch. Michael was born second. He always resented my authority. As soon as Stephen, the third, was a twinkle in my dad's eye, Michael adopted middle child syndrome as his personal mantra. Now, this was in the 50s. I don't believe MCS had even been identified yet. Michael worked hard to define the entire range of symptoms that would come later to be known as middle child syndrome. In fact, I think he was the poster child for it in 1958. Back to Santa Claus. When I was eight and Mike was six, he told me everything I was going to get for Christmas about a week ahead of time. He had discovered the cubbyhole in my dad's closet. But at age six, he had not yet developed his prowess as a sneak. He must have left some telltale signs because we both got in trouble for it. Why are you yelling at me? He did it. You should have been watching him. After she cooled down, she said, Let's not spoil it for the little boys. What about spoiling it for me? I still wanted to believe, and I did. I hung on to Santa that year, even after I had opened all my presents, and it was exactly as Michael had predicted. I believed because I wanted my little brothers to believe. The following year, the closet was locked. That next year, when Stephen was five and Jimmy was two, Santa Claus came to our Sunday school program. Now, I knew that this Santa was Mr. Lyman, our Sunday school superintendent. But to keep up the excitement for Steve and Jimmy, I pretended that he was the real guy. Michael, on the other hand, went around proclaiming to anyone who would listen that this was a fake. We couldn't prove it, but I always suspected Michael of sneaking into the choir room and hiding Mr. Lyman's street clothes behind the choir robes. Somebody did it, and to my eyes, he was the most likely candidate. Maybe this will give you a better picture of Michael. Mike's middle name was David, Michael David. When Mom was pregnant with Jimmy and my elderly aunt came to stay with us, she told Mike, that D in your name doesn't stand for David. You have a little devil in you. Michael took it to heart and would torment us and then say, that's the devil in me. Mom was really annoyed with her sister for that. Back to that Sunday night after the Sunday school program, 
I felt that someone needed to straighten out Michael, and if the adults weren't going to do it, it would have to be me. Why did you go around telling everyone that Santa Claus was fake? Because he is. Everyone could see it was Mr. Lehman. There's no such thing as Santa Claus. Is too. It's not. Well, yeah, Mr. Lyman was playing Santa at the party, just like I played Jacob and you were the donkey. That doesn't mean there is no Santa. Does too. Does not. Being young boys in the late 50s, there was only one way we could resolve this. We didn't have avatars to do battle for us on a digital field of battle. I couldn't even challenge him to a game of Pong. It got physical, one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano. It was when my mother came into our bedroom to break it up that Mike issued his ultimatum. Mom, you've got to tell him. Now, there were a couple of ways my mother could have handled this. She could have recognized my sensitive and artistic nature and talked about symbolism. She could have acknowledged that I was holding up the story for her. After all, she was the one who promised Santa to the little boys. I was just trying to keep the legend alive. Nope. Instead, she broke my heart. For pity's sake, Tommy, you're nine. It's time to grow up. That very next morning, I decided to become a scientist and deal only with facts. The Unfortunate Cheese Incident Did you know that most cats are lactose intolerant? Let me tell you the story of how I learned this. My former partner, whom we'll call John, and I were moving across the United States. The breakup had nothing to do with this incident, though perhaps it should have. We had a carload of possessions and three cats and carriers. Two of these cats were mine. One was not. Tiger was John's cat, and he was a beautiful mackerel tabby, brown and gray striped with an M on his forehead. John, bless his heart and damn his soul, wanted to reassure Tiger that all would be well. The cat could tell that something was up and was acting anxious. Unbeknownst to me, John decided to give Tiger a treat. A treat of creamy, unmelted queso cheese the night before we left. Yes, he gave the cat cheese with a high percentage of lactose. Tiger, of course, thought it was delicious. Who doesn't like queso cheese? And ate the entire piece. Wait for it. We were two hours into our drive when it started to rain. It was not just rain, but one of those deluges that made you fear for your life enough to slow down. Driving along at 20 miles an hour, we began to hear a low, soft cry from Tiger. The other cats were crying too. The rain was that bad. But Tiger became more and more insistent. All too soon, a smell like we had never smelled before wafted up to the front of the car. This smell, how to describe it? It was reminiscent of the green diaper bombs that infants can subject us to and fetid swamp water all rolled into one. The other cats began to wail louder. So did we. With tears in our eyes, we had to drive on. At 20 miles an hour, and rain so heavy that we would surely drown had we rolled down a window. The next stop was 15 miles away. No amount of air conditioning or fan helped quell that stench. It was the hell you always read about, endless torture with the devil laughing in elation. We managed to survive and John was able to clean up Tiger, but both he and John were relatively quiet for the rest of the three-day trip and there was no more cheese given.
Vicar's Porridge, written and read by Christine Larson, inspired by the prompt word, Discover. All this for the Nyssa? Helena's eyes widened. The saucepan of rice porridge was huge. Annalisa smiled down at her small daughter. Well, not all, honey. We'll have a small serve for dessert tonight, too. But can't I have just a tiny serve now? Please, more. Oh, please. Although Annalisa intended a firm no, somehow the words came out, Ah, oh, well, perhaps just a spoon or two. But not until I'm finished. Ah, uh, impossible to refuse those imploring brown eyes. The anticipation of licking the biggest wooden spoon and the saucepan had Helena grinning from ear to tiny ear, eyes shining and cheeks dimpling. What a cheerful picture for a man to come home to, Carl said as he trudged into the kitchen, his mood brightening as he kissed his wife's cheek, warm from the hot oven. Before he could draw breath, his little Helena was clinging to his leg, as though she hadn't seen him for a year, instead of early this morning. You're late today, dear. Annalisa worried when the snow was this deep and roads became slippery and treacherous. Carl shook his head, abruptly serious. Ah, it's Torben. He waylaid me when I collected feed for the hens. He's been having a dose of trouble on his farm. Carl sat down at the table, weary now from his heavy day's work. Trouble? Annalisa spooned porridge into her largest bowl. It's the Nessa. He just won't accept them. Has to discover their ill will the hard way, one disaster after another. Fences breaking down, cow's milk gone sour, Crops all mouldy? Carl rubbed his forehead. I've told him over and over, this is what happens if you don't keep those elves happy with their weekly ration of rice pudding. Like we do. Like that, and he pointed to the bowl on the cupboard top, beginning to cool. Now Helena's small face grew thoughtful, almost fearful. Torben wouldn't believe how naughty his Nyssa could be without their rice porridge, would he? Helena took a deep breath, filled her cheeks up tight and blew a loud, and he told you he didn't believe in all that stuff or that the Nyssa were really real, didn't he, Far? She didn't take her eyes off her father until he nodded. Then she could take another lick of the big wooden spoon. And... And, although Helena ran out of breath, she was still able to roll her eyes and purse her lips tightly, just like her old school teacher. Annalisa's eyes twinkled. And remember how far told him he never has Nyssa problems? Because he always gives them their big supper bowl of rice pudding every single week. Helena nodded her head vigorously small mouth pinched up again in a most self-righteous fashion. I believe, except, and her expression changed as her small brow furrowed. Peering up at her mother, Helena clicked her tongue. 
It's just that I don't know. I don't know why they're a cross, mean Nessa. I thought they were cheerful little elves, helping Yulamanen make them presents for all the children for Christmas. Isn't that right, Moor? Oh yes, indeed. The Yulanessa are always happy and busy as at the toy workshop. Annalisa handed her the porridge bowl. It's the all-year-round Nessa who look after the farm, and ours won't be so happy either if you keep them waiting much longer. Annalisa's loving smile softened her words. Up to the loft with you now, my own little elf. Weekend Write-In Podcast. For more episodes and links to more work by these authors, visit our website at www.weekendwritein.wordpress.com. The Weekend Write-In Podcast is co-hosted, produced, and edited by John Nedwell and Sovon Drake. Music for this episode includes Beautiful Memories, Morning Magic, Please Don't Cry, and Scary Atmosphere by Festlionsstudios.com. Sound effects by freesound.org, Milton Remix number two, and Comb Over by Timber, Highway Freedom Loop by D.D. Meidzik, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License, as well as Mildly Amusing by Ben Von Can and Drumroll by Holy Ghost Party, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License. I'm back. What did I miss? Just the whole episode. Oh, when did I put this on just for the occasion? Nice Santa suit. Is that padding? It's, um, well, uh, my, isn't it hot in here? What happened to all the snow? Well, I was thinking it may be Christmas, but that doesn't mean it's winter. Christine Larson, she's in Australia, and it's summer down there, so I thought we should have some sun, and you're looking a bit hot. I am. It's all this fur and things, but I can soon fix that. There. That's better. What do you think? Mm, I think I preferred you with the suit on. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. See you, See you in 2021. 2021.